0: Hello, and welcome to The Way Forward, the official podcast of the California Faculty Association. My name is Ardrina Redmond, CFA's anti-racism and social justice director and your host. This podcast series is inspired by CFA's ongoing commitment to building a world where all are welcome, safe, and able to be their full selves. We'll be applying an anti-racism and social justice lens in conversations with CSU faculty, students, staff, and community activists discussing issues that are celebrating or confronting on campus and beyond. Our hope is that those who tune in will have aha moments and be inspired enough to continue or start working toward futurist visions of anti-racism and social justice transformation. And of course, we want you to tune in and share the links of each podcast. Today, we're talking with Danielle Munoz, who leads the CARES program at Cal State Long Beach. So excited to have you here with us today.
1: Great,
0: thank you for having me. Welcome. So let's jump right in here, Danielle. Well, first, I just wanna thank you for agreeing to the interview. I know we've had a really great pre-conversation I was excited after that conversation. I felt way more informed about what CARES is, what it does, and just excited by your dedication to the work, honestly. Uh, so, but that's what I know about you because I've had the conversation. But can you help our listeners to learn more about who you are?
1: Absolutely, and thank you, Adrian. It's not so nice to have uh, this con- with this time with you. Um, for the listeners, I'm Danielle Munoz Chanel. I did just get married last this last year. It was a year in October, and I'm the director for the Basic Needs Center here at Long Beach State. And before Long Beach State, um, as you were mentioning, I have history in the CSU. I was at Sacramento State for almost eight years. And I helped build their CARES program, their emergency housing, emergency funds, their CalFresh program, um, their student interns and staff. And so that, that program is still running. And I came over here in August to Cal State Long Beach, another really great school um, where <clears throat> some colleagues of mine work that I was very familiar with their work. And Cal State Long Beach uh, Basic Needs Center has been around since 2015. And they were sort of like the first um, the first campus really to take on basic needs work, so I'm really happy and very honored to be part of this team mm-hmm.
0: so which brings me to the question, right? What the heck is cares what do we what are we talking about when we say basic needs? I think about food, housing, um yeah, those are like basic needs to me. Sure. But-
1: yeah, so, um, you know, cares and basic needs have a very close relationship. At many campuses, they are one and the same. Some campuses, they are separate, but it, it doesn't matter. All 23 campuses, I think that we have, they all have some version of cares and basic needs. Uh, some of them live in health and wellness. Some of them live in the dean's office. Some of them live under an associate vice president. So they all sort of live in a different area, but mostly student affairs. Um, and, and what CARES and basic needs are, because um, some people, their campus, that is actually one and the same. So you can sort of use those both interchangeably for this. Um, and it's basically the student support. I always say maybe like the unofficial social workers of the campus or the official social workers of the campus, right? So anytime students in, like experience an interruption in college, um, where do they go? And so again, since 2015, as we get more data on homelessness, now there's more data on mental health. We're starting to see how those intersect with student retention um, and also faculty support. Faculty are the front lines of hearing about all these. So even though we started in 2015, I bet you I can ask any faculty, they would have been hearing about these stories long ago. Uh, So this has been around for a very long time, Mm -hmm. but now we have services. Now mm-hmm. we have case managers, now we have peer ambassadors, we mm-hmm. have emergency housing services, we have free counseling on campus, um, and we have, you know, case managers who are dedicated to students who are just coming out of the hospital, maybe you had a hospitalization of some kind, mental, med- like mental health specific or medical um more like a surgery but we have folks that will welcome you back to campus and make sure you have a soft landing, a soft transition. Maybe work with the faculty can this student, you know, make up this exam? They were out in the hospital. I can verify that. Um so now we have these support services. I feel that they've been powerful for students but powerful for faculty who really are looking at these students and saying I wanna help you and I think I can get this accommodation for you, but I, I can't house you directly. So how you're going to keep up in my class, I don't know. So I think these services are very critical also to the faculty.
0: And the services are, I mean, I'm amazed by the coming out of the hospital to transition you back into school, which helps with retention. I'm imagining that helping folks with their housing. Absolutely. Helps with retention. Helping folks with their car note, if they have a car note, helps with retention. Uh, helping people to eat <laughs> so that you can function in class helps with retention.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's all of it right there. And our our students report it, but our faculty, I think, also experience it as a front lines.
0: Right, yeah. you, did you see a difference? I know you were at another campus pre the pandemic. Mm -hmm. and now you're at Sacramento and now you're at at Long Beach is is there a different pre and post pandemic in terms of student needs yes
1: absolutely so pre-pandemic we were seeing the housing affordability crisis start to creep up on students pretty fast but then it was unique to COVID in that you're pairing that with sudden job loss so All of our students, you know, many, many of our students are working like retail, restaurant, you know, things that are very flexible for their student schedule, but also the very first to go during COVID. So our students were in a really vulnerable population of people that really lost their jobs. And even if you were not a student at that time, and you worked in retail or restaurant, you were the first to be let go. Um, so we have a lot of students who they, their parents were let go from work, they were let go from work. I even heard of a student who let us know her husband was a nur- is a nurse and had such trauma that he needed to get treatment for himself and lost his job because of the trauma of being a first responder nurse. So then it left her as a student needing to find work, but they have three children. Um, And so where he was the primary caregiver as a nurse and they were doing just fine, him having trauma and needing treatment and losing his job uh, then really put a strain on the family. So we just saw all kinds of different ways that COVID really affected people. um, And then we had a lot of isolation. Students were isolated Um, there were a lot of students who struggled with time management and were just completely failing with the asynchronous course model. Um, And then also just mental health, folks with mental health were not getting fast treatment. And then that all kind of rolls into how you're doing in class if you're managing all of that. And then you have your student parents who were trying to manage childcare and being there for their children who were doing work, you know, school at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then they were also in school. And one thing I heard in particular from Latino students were that their parents were not really accustomed to what it means to work virtually. So while they were in class or virtual learning or asynchronous learning, the family would sort of interpret that as they weren't doing anything. So they would often get pulled out of their activity, their academic activities to go pick up a sibling or make dinner or things like that because their family didn't understand Right. That if you're in an asynchronous class, you were still working,
0: right, right. So interesting. i I yeah. can understand that. i I can understand that. I'm wondering then if what were um, who did you what what was your your referral for students who are having these mental health crises? Because, as we know, our uh, caps, uh, the counseling services on campuses are stretched to the max as well. So, how do students get those needs met?
1: Absolutely. So I, I'm not too familiar with how specifically the CAPS departments were operating at that time, but I do know a lot of the reasons that they were going to CAPS was because of the financial stress. And really what they needed was they, they're they facing eviction, right? At some point, those moratoriums ended yes. and people needed to pay money. And the moratoriums didn't stop payments, they, the payments continue rolling over, right? They owe the same amount. They just didn't have to pay it. So students right. had these balloon balances and it was very overwhelming. So we worked with CAPS very closely that we made sure we let them know about our resources. And then when they would meet with the student and the source of the stress was financial, they would refer them to us. So we did get a lot of students that way um mm. about, you know, the, their mental health was really impacted because they couldn't afford to eat, they couldn't afford to pay rent. It's very scary when you cannot pay rent to your landlord. Your landlords, you know, once they start that eviction process, that could even go on your record, that could affect you for the next seven years. So this was very, a very real fear for students um, right. that that they felt very stressed out and they needed money.
0: What does that what does that look like? The who are, and when I asked that, I mean, who are the students? who are coming to you, you've mentioned Latino students, for example, but who else, who are the students who are most likely to need to access uh, CARES? Mm -hmm. Sure.
1: So um, we definitely have more Black students, students with disabilities, and our trans students. Those are the three categories of students that experience the most financial stress and also correlates with probably the most incidents of housing and job discrimination. Those mm-hmm. all tied in together.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and are there ways that their needs are different from others, or is it just more exaggerated?
1: Their needs are different, I think. So especially for you know students with disabilities, they do need a, a supportive workplace. We know that we can create a disability if we're not providing good accommodations. Um, so, like our BMAC program here is a perfect example of responsiveness. You know, they shared stories about students who come from other schools just to attend here because their services are so strong. Um, and so, if you can feel supported in one space, but not feel supported in another with your disability, then you know that actually society can create the disability. So finding those employers who know how to be accessible, finding employers who know how to work with neurodiversity, physical disabilities, you know, uh, mental health as well, that is an invisible disability. So it's really hard to find employers that are trained and have a workplace that's supportive. So those students often don't find that. I've heard trans students say that the job search process itself is extremely traumatic. They're going in for an interview and they see the interview panel trying to figure out their gender uh, but not in a very welcoming way. That alone, I had a student tell me that they do substitute teaching, and the children would be extremely transphobic to them. That they didn't even want to be in that space anymore. So trying to find a space that was welcoming to them that was very hard. And often we hear about mental health being coincided with that experience. Their mental health declining. And then our black students, they don't feel affirmed. They might get into a job, but they might be trained for assimilation, right? Used for diversity. And uh, They mm-hmm. don't really feel that they're heard. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a lot of Black women that tell us that their colleagues, you know, are very, they have a lot of microaggressions. They call them aggressive. You know, they don't think they are. And so just it was just awful to hear, especially, I think, for Black women not feeling affirmed in their environments, not feeling like they were tapped for promotions or raises. Uh, or having roommate issues. A lot of our Black students said they have roommate issues, not feeling their roommates were treating them equally or their roommates and their friends would feel scared of them. So just awful things that, you know, Black students, I think, go through when they do job search, finding roommates, right? Housing, all that ties in. And for them, it was a lot of like just mental health, like just not feeling affirmed um, in their space.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. And do you all provide place for students to talk to each other?
1: Yeah, so community is really huge. Uh, That's definitely a thing that we try to do. And we also hire peer ambassadors. So these are students who they themselves have experienced homelessness or food insecurity, and now Mm -hmm. they're on the other side, and we hire them so they can talk to their peers. And so they do create peer spaces. Um, And then we we work with CAPS a lot. CAPS does a lot of uh, peer spaces that we can We support through basic needs as well and we take or they will take the referrals or we'll co you know do something with them now we have peer ambassadors in the cultural centers here at long beach so they will take snacks over we asked each cultural center like what food do you want because food is dignity food is community food is culture a lot of us and i'm latina that's like a center of our being, right? So that's everything. Yes. <laughs> so we want to see that those students see themselves in the food pantry, right? With the food. So we could do cultural food surveys and we try to bring those, that feedback from the students into the Amazon wish list. So when donors are picking what they want to donate to the pantry, it's something the students picked. Um, so we try to get the food the students like, and then try to just be in the student spaces with them versus like too, too much programming, which can be transactional, we try to go to where the students are.
0: That's great, because my next question was going to be, how do students even know that you exist? Uh, I just remember being an undergrad and, you know, maybe experiencing points of distress and not knowing who could help me, you know, and knowing my family wasn't really in a capacity to help me, but not even thinking that the institution was there and able to help me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's not something people maybe normally think about. A lot of students' parents, their generations probably didn't have this kind of support if they went to college. So I understand Like that's not where people's heads are at. And I will say the only time that benefits us is when we're helping a student leave a very violent, unsafe environment. and We house them. We never get the parents coming to look for them because they don't think we would have housing uh-oh. So, like, there's that one specific group that we leverage our secrecy, but for the rest, I tell the campus, be the reason someone knows about basic needs.
0: Right. You've met me,
1: you've heard about what we do. Go be the reason. Everyone is basic needs marketing. Every right. single person that now knows me, now you have to go and be someone, like, be the reason a student knows about me. So you know, and my services. So. We do that, but we also do a lot of outreach. So we partner a lot, like collaboration is key. So we don't just sit there like an ivory tower and say, okay, we're here, right? Come to us when you're ready. We go out. So we say, uh, let's go meet with the cultural centers. Let's go meet with the grad center. Let's go meet with housing. You know, let's go meet with guardian scholars, EOP, there's so many pro- project rebound. We meet with all kinds of programs where we know there could be some overrepresentation of basic needs issues. Mm-hmm. Athletes, we screen athletes as well for food insecurity. Um, they they eat a lot. They need to, and they don't get to work because they are work. Their Definitely. work is yeah. athletic. So, um, so we try to go out to folks, and then it comes back to us like come to our wellness fair, come to this, come to this event. And then we start getting invited to events. So I have a team of about 16 students and that's all they do is outreach. And their their outreach calendar is packed, which I love. Um, and a lot of them I don't even see during the week because they're out on campus doing all the things they were invited to. So we do oh, try to get out.
0: That's and, awesome. Yeah. And, and so and for faculty who teach in the CSU, and I know you're, you're specifically a Cal State Long Beach, what is, what is the best way for faculty to direct a student to CARES or basic needs program if they think that the mm-hmm. student could use the services?
1: Absolutely. One of the best ways a faculty can help their classroom also to deal with stigma and visibility, which are our two biggest hurdles. So stigma. visibility and then stigma. Even mm-hmm. if you see us, do you feel safe coming to us? Mm -hmm. faculty are to a lot of students, faculty are authority, but it may be a good way. And sometimes in a parental way. So I, sometimes I see faculty like underestimating their influence. And so they'll say like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, I, I think if you were to just tell your student, you know, I saw your grades declining. I just want to check in with you. I mean, that's a student's dream to think a faculty would care about them. So I, I empower faculty, step into your confidence. You, this, Your role to the student, you might feel like a normal person, but to the student, they have you on a pedestal. So if you name it, they will buy in. And if you tell the class, at some point life will happen to you. In my syllabus, I have a few resources. I want you to keep those in mind. And I want you to come to me if you need anything. But these are going to be the folks to help you even better if you can have a slide and you can ask the program, do you have a slide of, you know, a couple things I can give a student and show the slide maximum, bring them into your class. You have five minutes to tell my class who you are. Right. And I have like a five minute, a 10 minute and like a 30 minute version of my presentation. And it's like, yeah. So, you know, if you just name it, put it on your syllabus or the next thing you can put it in a slide and the next thing you can bring them into your classroom. Those are ways that students you know, really bite into us because if the faculty sets the tone, you should use this. We do notice a big difference in a student's willingness to use us.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And I love that you are affirming to faculty their, their level of influence because you're right. I think sometimes folks don't know that. And some of that might be tied to their own work experiences, right? So- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So anything else that you would like to tell us about cares or basic needs, something that you want our listeners to know?
1: You know, we're not going to be out of this anytime soon. You know, we have housing affordability is low. People are not able to afford where they're living. Food is expensive. Uh, You you know, you have a lot of students talking to us about inflation. They're like, you know, I, my gas is, higher than I usually pay, right? My eggs are more expensive. You know, uh, students struggle with commute and transportation costs. They're having to make choices between, do I pay my rent? Do I pay for my books? So knowing that this is going on for our students, be prepared. Just assume that you will have a student in your classroom that will be going through this. And so if you're prepared upfront, it's always less awkward. And like I was saying earlier, just having a syllabus statement, that's even like a great thing to do. Saying it at the beginning of class, please know that wellness resources exist. That's going to help because we're not out of this. And I do believe cares and basic needs are going to be needed for the next few years as people recover from COVID and specific things to California that we're dealing with. Um, I think that we need to just be prepared to continue responding. But the other nice thing is we're here for you. They're all the CARES folks, all the basic needs folks. A lot of us are clinicians. We all came from the community. Um, Very few of the CARES and basic needs folks came from within higher ed. We all came from a housing program. We all came from a food bank. We all came from a counseling center. So that's what we do. That's our jam and we're always happy to help. So reach out to your CARES and basic needs teams. They wanna help you. They don't want to do the tutoring. They don't want to do the teaching. That's you, <laughs> right? We <laughs> always say that like your scope is still your scope, but let, but you never ask to be a crisis counselor. That's our job and we will work with you. So uh, we like the business and please keep, you know, sending students our way. That's what we're here for to help you or, you know, if you're faculty listening, to make sure that what you have to offer your students and your wonderful expertise you're bringing to the classroom that they can actually take advantage of it. And if they're elevated and they're distracted, they're not gonna be able to take advantage of your offerings. So if you can get that taken care of first, right? Like go see the housing folks, go see counseling. Then I think the student will come back to the classroom much more ready to learn.
0: Thank you to our guest, Ms. Danielle Munoz, the Director of Basic Needs at Cal State Long Beach. We appreciate your perspective and your time. That's the end of our podcast for today. Do tune in next week for more conversations looking through a lens of anti-racism and social justice for transformation. Remembering transformation is an action verb, meaning a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. For The Way Forward, I'm Audrina Redden.